morning and help me to be faithful to the text and help me to, to say what's in your heart, Lord, and, and what you have for these folks. Um, I pray this in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I'm thinking about putting a cup holder on the new music stand because I, I don't have a convenient place to put my coffee cup. Just saying. Um, so, uh, I, all right, as we're going into the text this morning, the, we're kind of going to go in two directions, okay? And I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to bother you all to focus a little bit because um, I'm, I'm in one of those spots this morning where as I, as I approached the passage, it was like, you know, this is the obvious first thing, and then there's another thing that's been in front of me all week that's in there and that we're going to talk about. And so there's, there's two pieces here. Everybody got it? Um, and I, I'm going to do my best, um, but there are two pieces that, that are not exactly next to each other. They connect, but not exactly, and usually on Sundays like this, my wife says, well, you were kind of disjointed, and, and so I'm, I'm advancing that and saying there's going to be some disjoint in here, okay? Everybody with me? John wrote it, not me. His fault. <laughs> um, we are going to be in the book of John. Uh, there are Bibles in the pews. We bought a whole bunch of new Bibles. If you do not personally own a Bible, um, there are paperback copies in some of the pews, and there are a bunch of them, um, on, or a couple of them on the table outside. Um, if you don't have a Bible, take, take a paperback copy. Uh, the only thing I ask is that you read the book of James um, as payment. Read the book of James as payment. Um, otherwise, uh, I encourage you to pick one up. They are going to be on the screen, but it is good to look at the words in your hands. Um, and so as we kind of look at the background here, well, actually, before I jump into the background, um, I was talking to Mark. I'm going to put Mark on the spot this morning. Um, and, and as I was talking to him this morning, we were, you know, we were talking about a couple things, and, and this poem came to my head that I had heard when I was a kid. And, and I, I've heard it about a hundred ta- times. I can almost recite it from memory, but I had to look it up. Um, anybody know um, the great poet Shel Silverstein? We're familiar with him, right? I, uh, I had uh, every book he had on cassette, um, and I think he read them because only, only somebody that crazy would sound like that. Um, and, and I listened to him over and over again for years as a child. And, and so now I'll, I'll talk with folks, and, and these poems will pop up in my head. And, and this is a morning for it. And uh, um, poems entitled God's Wheel. Uh, what? Wheel. Yes, God's Wheel. Sorry, did that sound wrong? I, um, God says to me with a, kind, with a kind of smile, Hey, how would you like to be God a while and steer the world? Okay, says I, I'll give it a try. Where do I sit? How much do I get? What time is lunch and when can I quit? Give me back that wheel, says God. I don't think you're quite ready yet. Um, the reason I'm sharing it, and this is actually more toward the end of the sermon, um, but it, it actually it'll play through throughout. We we as people have a tendency to want to be in control, isn't it the truth? Like and it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? What does Satan offer um, Adam and Eve? Right? If you eat off this tree, you will be like God. Which is sort of funny because um, when God created them, He created them in His image, and so they were like God already, right? They were like God in in a number of fantastic respects, but what they were offered and what they were grabbing at was to be God, right? And, and I, I do it all the time, and, and I've talked to more than a few people this week that, that, are, that are holding on to the wheel and thinking, I'm not going to make a Jesus make the wheel joke. 
Um, take the wheel joke. It's, it's not happening, so don't even expect it. Um, but they're gripping the wheel, and they're thinking, I need to be in control of this stuff. And, and so as we go into this, like, like, like this is, this is going to be a subtext to what we're looking at. Um, in the immediate context, we're in, we're in John. Um, we're in the second half of the book, which is referred to as the book of glory. And why it's called that is because Jesus is about to be, like, crucified. And um, John really presents this idea that, like, glory, as we understand it, isn't glory, right? Like, from God's perspective, glory is um, knowing him because God is glorious, right? God is, God is wonderful. He is loving. He is caring. He is powerful. He is glorious. And to know God more is to know glory, right? Um, and, and so this book... This section of the book, we learn some huge things about God. And most specifically, we learn that Jesus is glorified through submission to the Father's will, right? And through his death for us, his like just boundless love and willingness to be humiliated and, and, and hurt and tortured and killed for our sins, right? And there's glory in that. Like the amount that God loves us is glorious, um, and, and so, like, understand as we're looking at this, glory is the subtext, but it's all about service and, and, and submission and love. Um, in the first half of the chapter, we looked at the foot washing. Um, and this is kind of the very tail end of that chapter. It's after dinner, right? So, like, they, before dinner, Jesus gets up and he, like, puts on the outfit of a slave, like the lowest slave in the household. I know this is a review. Some of you all weren't here last week, and some of you all were sleeping. So um, um, he puts on the outfit of the lowest slave in the household, the kind of outfit you wore if you wanted folks to make fun of you. And he goes around and he takes the lowest job and washes the disciples' feet. And that's huge because um, he's pointing forward to the cross where he would be humiliated, right? And in service to us, he would die for our sins, right? And so that's pointing forward here. But he's also saying, look, and he finishes up, he says, look, Love each other just like that, right? Like, be willing to be low, be willing to be, you know, submissive, be willing to serve, be willing to take this spot in relation to each other. And um, in the intervening part, Judas leaves, right? Judas up and leaves to go and sell Jesus to the temple authorities. And we're actually going to start in verse 30, which is the very end of that, because I I read through that section really quick last week. Um, As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, uh, Judas had taken the bread, He went out, and it was night. Now watch this. Um, It's easy to read, and it was night, and just catch that it was nighttime, right? I mean, most of us, that's... um, But as we've been reading John, one of the things that we've talked about is Jesus over and over and over again says things like, Hey, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm here, and it's day. While I'm here, it's day. Work during the day. You know, find what you're looking for during the day, because when the night comes, it's going to be dark. You're not going to be able to see right? And he says, I'm the light of the world, right? And he talks about himself being the light and people living in the darkness, right? And so all of a sudden, John puts this solid line in there, and it was night. So what's about to happen, John tips the hand, right? What's about to happen is Jesus is about to go, right? Um, and and he's, about to, he's about to leave this world, and, and, and it was night is sort of the precursor to that, and Jesus jumps in and he says, Sorry, I'm going to get a drink here. When he was gone, Jesus said, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Now, he's done this a couple times. Part of what Jesus is emphasizing is that, like, what he is doing, right, is he's standing sort of as a, as a reflection of God's glory. Everybody got that? I mean, you go out at night here. Um, the last few weeks, you can go out at night and you almost don't need a flashlight because what's up there? The moon, right? And actually, in the middle of winter, what's on the ground? And the best thing about snow is that, like, you can go out and it's almost daytime half the time, right? Because the snow reflects the light of the moon, which makes it really bright. Um, what Jesus is doing is basically the job the moon does and what the snow does, right? He's reflecting God's glory. Um, so when he talks about um, God being glorified in him and all of this, I mean, this whole section here, what he's emphasizing is I'm going out of here, but what I'm doing is reflecting God's glory, right? Because he's submitting to God's will um, in going to the cross and also because he's demonstrating God's love and he's demonstrating God's plan for salvation, right? Anybody ever find yourself in a spot where you think, God, are you even holding the steering wheel, Right? <laughs> Like, I, are you even bothering right now? Like, is anybody in control? Um, in reality, like, like God's will, it permeates the world, right? It's everywhere. And Jesus is submitting to that. Um, and there's sort of this, this emphasis that here, right? Like, this is what God planned. This is what God planned from the beginning. His plan for our salvation is perfect. Even if it's hard in our lives sometimes, this is the hardest moment of it. And that's when his son, you know, our, our Savior, this Jesus who loves us this much, like, goes to the cross. Um, and so at once is how he ends it, right? We'll glorify him at once, meaning it is now. Um, and that's before he talks for four more chapters. Um, we're, we're going to skip over the farewell discourse and come back to it later because I want to get to Easter on Easter. Does that make sense? And I, I'd have to preach five chapters, which means we'd have a long service. Everybody in? No? Okay. Um, so we're going to skip the farewell discourse. We're going to come back to it, and we're going to cover the trial arrest and all that other stuff in the next couple weeks. Um, so Jesus says, listen, the glory is coming. It is now you know, the time is here. It is going to happen immediately. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, my children. Now, my children was um, a common way for rabbis to, like, talk to their favorite students, right? In the ancient world, rabbis, when they would talk to their students, the favorite ones would be my children or my little children. And John was really impressed by this. this is the only time it turns up in the book of John. But every letter John writes after this, he uses the, the phrase over and over again, to talk to his, his students or people who are his disciples or what have you. And so, my children, um, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Okay? Um, now, he says, listen, I'm almost gone. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And he points back, and this is earlier in the book of John, it's actually in several of the synoptics, where he says, I'm going somewhere and you're not going to be able to find me. In the previous context, he was saying, I'm going somewhere, you're not going to be able to find me, and you people are going to die in your sin because you're not listening, right? In this context, he's saying, listen, I'm going, and you can't come. And, and there's a degree to which they, they're going to want to come. They don't know what they're getting into because where he's going is, you know, he's going to jail. I mean, he's going to Golgotha, to the, the place of the skull. And, and ultimately, he'll be going to heaven, which is like a lot of people argue about whether or not he's talking about heaven or whatnot. 
Um, but at this point, nobody else can do this, right? Jesus is able to die for our sins because he's without sin. And unfortunately, like everybody else who ever lived, we make ourselves into our own God, right? We chase after our own desires. We want what we want. We want it now, and we don't care what anybody else thinks, and that gets us in trouble. And that sin that we carry um, means we can't come. We can't go to the cross for the world, and that's what he's about to do. And so as he sort of transitions into this, he's, listen, you guys can't come with me, but a new commandment I give you, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, this isn't new. So, like, if you cut it off there, it's actually not that new because he told folks before, right? Like at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, love, you know, love your, you know, pray for your enemies. And, and I mean, he, he, love has been an emphasis. And actually, it's in, the, it's in the Old Testament. Love is repeatedly emphasized. It's not a new thing. But the new part, and this is where it's easy to miss, and, and it's huge, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now, there's two halves to this. Okay, he says, listen, I loved you this way, and you need to love one another this way. It, it's a temptation in preachers. They'll say, well, this is about all the world. We're supposed to love the whole world the way Jesus loved us. Yes, we're supposed to love the whole world, but he's actually talking to the church right now. Right? He's talking to the disciples. He's got these people in the room, and he says to them, you folks need to love one another. Right? You need to love one another the way I've loved you. Now, um, first off, what did he just get finished doing? Washing their feet, right? He, he, um, one of the things we talked about last week is that peers never washed, washed each other's feet. You would never do that. Foot washing in that culture was only people who are of a lower status to somebody of a higher status. It would be like slaves to masters or um, children to parents and wives to husbands. <laughs> um, that's their culture, not ours. Uh, <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, and, and they would never do that for each other, right? The disciples wouldn't have done that for each other. In fact, earlier in the conversation, they were arguing about who was better. Like, oh, I'm better. You know, no, Jesus loves me more. No, God loves me more. Nope, I'm clearly higher on the scale than you. And Jesus says, well, you know, if that's what you guys are going to talk about, I'm going to lower myself and wash your feet. Well, he's the only guy who's definitely at the top of the scale, right? And so he says, listen, love one another as I have loved you. Um, he's talking to the church, and hear this, okay, because it's so easy to lose. It is, isn't it? I mean, living and dealing with each other is hard, right? I never knew I could fight with someone so much until I got married, and then the, as much as I love her, for some reason, living in the same house makes it easy to argue, doesn't it? I mean, I, I've talked to folks for years and years. The people you're closest to are sometimes the people it's easiest to be mean to. Isn't it true? Um, and the church is, we're supposed to be the community. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you folks, love each other enough that you'll humiliate each other in service to, to one another. You need to look around you and you need to look at the people who are in the room with you, who are part of the body of Christ, who are saved by the blood of Christ, who are his people, and you need to love each other to the point of silly, to the point of embarrassing. Um, the last command he gives, right? He's on his way out. He says, listen, 
this command, love each other the way I've loved you. Now, the second half of that is, is the cross, right? And if you jump ahead to, um, I think I may even actually, yeah, John 15, toward the end of the discourse, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So he later on, he comes back and he really fleshes it out, right? But we're skipping that section, so I wanted to include it here and now because it's, it's context, right? What does that mean for us? It means these folks are people you're supposed to love. And love beyond the pale, Love to serve, love to die for, love, 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 love. It's the big thing that Jesus is putting forward for his people. As he's leaving, he's, love them. Love each other, love each other, love each other. Have I driven that point home enough? Could I say love 10 or 12 more times? Um, the problem with describing it is the scale is so big, it's hard to put it out there. Um, did I, I skipped a verse. I cannot believe that. Um, oh, Sorry. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, not that we wear T-shirts, not that we wear jewelry, not that we're associated with this particular church or that particular church, not that um, we stand in the right protests or give money to the right people or have that little thing on the back of our car that says we are, which I don't have because I don't want people to know that I'm that bad of a driver and a Christian. Um, <laughs> actually, I do have one now because my parents, anyway. Um, <laughs> But people will look at you and know you are a Christian because of how much you love each other, right? People will look at you and they will know you belong to Jesus who died for the world because of the way you treat each other, right? Now take a quick minute and think about the worst person you know who is also a Christian, the one that you cannot stand, right? You still have to love them. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, who was in that mix? Judas, right? Judas, he even said, you're not one of mine, right? And he still washed his feet. What does that mean to us? Well, there's a, a spot I had a pastor in Indiana would over and over again cite the wheat and the tares, right? You know, and, and, and I guess they didn't have good sprayers back then. Um, but when they would plant wheat, sometimes weeds would get in. In this particular case, there were weeds intentionally planted by the enemy, Right? And the, the, the um, servants are like, hey, should we go, go ahead and rip out all the, all the weeds? He says, well, if you do that, you might accidentally rip out, you know, the weed. So go ahead and leave it all, and when the time comes, we'll sort it all out, right? Which is actually why Jess and I don't garden, because we don't know what a weed looks like versus what a plant looks like. <laughs> it's really true. It's kind of sad. Um, we start with good intentions, and it always goes bad because we're like, well, wheat and tares, what are we supposed to do? Let's leave it and see what happens. And we grow weeds. Um, <laughs> but, now watch this, right? So if the person next to you, you look at him and say, well, obviously you're not a believer. Look at how you act. Well, what if you pull that weed out and it's not the right one, right? Look at the problems you make. Like, at the bare bones of it, even people who are decidedly unlovable are people we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love them to the point that we'll humiliate ourselves loving them. That's a hard idea, isn't it? That's... It's something you don't hear preached about often enough. 
It's something that as I talk to folks over the years and years I've been a I've been a, a believer and a minister. I've talked to so many folks who've been hurt by people who act badly. When Jess and I went and worked at the children's home and I stopped working at the church, I said twice a week, I said, I will never, ever work in another church again. Right? It's true, isn't it, honey? Over and over again. Because, because we met some people who were unpleasant. At the end of the day, there are a lot of those people who were like saved by grace. Right? As unpleasant as they were and Jesus wasn't done fixing them yet. And in the long run, they'll stand next to me in heaven. Right? That's a hard thing. Love each other. So, Simon Peter jumps into the conversation. Now, the two halves, by the way, okay? First half. And it's the short one. And it's actually an extension of last week. Love the believers around you as much as you possibly can. Okay? Love them. The second major point, and here's where it gets disjointed, sort of. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Because Peter hasn't been paying attention at all, right? He said it over and over and over and over again. But Peter's, you know, thick-headed. Um... And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. The reason he says this is, right now, Peter can't go to the cross with him. However, later, Peter would be arrested, and he would be tried, and he would be crucified, right? So he says, listen, you're coming later. Don't worry. Um, I'm guessing that for a long time, this probably wasn't very comforting to Peter. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, he says, right now, it's not, it's not happening. Um, And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Um, Now, Peter's probably a fairly young man, right? Has anybody ever listened to a fairly young man talk big? And, like, you stand back and think, yeah, right? And, And that's exactly where Peter is. Peter's standing up. He says, listen, I would lay down my life for you. I will do anything you want, anything. I am there with you. I will go with you. I will do anything. Um, And Jesus answers, Will you really lay down your life for me? Now, this is kind of double-edged. Watch this. Because he knows Peter's going to lie, saying he doesn't even know Jesus, right? Actually, if you read in John, John was the other guy who was with Peter at the trial. It's something that gets, like, is in the text. We'll talk about it next week, probably. Um, but he, so, so, you know, John, John knows about the denial. John saw it. Um, John actually witnessed Peter cuss out a servant girl rather than acknowledge that he knew Jesus right? It's in the text. I'm not making it up, right? He, he literally swore to a little girl saying, I don't know that guy. Leave me alone. Like, that's how brave Peter was in the moment. Um, and so part of it is he knows it's not going to happen. But the other part of it is, is, now watch this, and this is really important. Jesus is about to lay down his life for Peter, right? Jesus is about to die for Peter, Um. And Peter can't do that for him. Peter can't die for the sins of the world. Peter can't do it. What Peter needs is for Jesus to do it, right? Um, When Jesus went around and washed their feet, Peter's response was, Lord, you will never, ever wash my feet. As though he should be the one going around and serving, right? Like, oh, I should do this for you. You shouldn't do it for me. You shouldn't humiliate yourself for me. Um. One of the things that we do often as believers, and Peter's doing it here, right? Watch this. Um, it's, it's very easy for us as believers to think that we can sit in God's place, right? Or that we can take God's place or that we can do things for God, right? Um, the best things I do are, are not even on the scale, right? 
the things God does for me and the things God has done for me are enormous. And, and you know, I, I think it's Isaiah that says, you know, even our best works are filthy rags. We won't get into that this morning. But, but like, literally, the best things we bring to the table are garbage compared to what God has, right? Um, and so Peter says, oh, wait, wait, I have all this stuff for you. Look at how good I can be for you. And Jesus, you can't, you can't do this for me. I have to do it for you. And it's very difficult as believers to think, God has to serve me, right? God has to clean me of my sins. God has to help me overcome my sins. God has to put love in me. It's not me trying really hard to love the people around me. It's God doing it in my heart. God has to take my heart of stone and break it and turn it into a heart of flesh that's in Ezekiel like predicting what his believers would be. When we read about this community that is so loving that people look at him and they're like, oh, you must be Christians because look at how you love each other. This isn't an act of sheer will, right? This isn't us jumping up in in zeal saying, I will love these people for you, Jesus, especially that guy over there (laughs) because nobody loves him and I'll do it just for you. In reality, right, that ain't it. God makes us capable of loving each other at that depth because the best we're going to manage isn't going to be nearly good enough. And ultimately, what we have to learn to do as believers is allow God to work, is to allow him to be in control and to change us and to move us and to do awesome stuff. Um, But that's difficult, isn't it? It kind of goes against this self-made, I'm going to do it myself thing, right? I mean, we have to try. We're a part of the process. But ultimately, like, the big stuff that comes out comes out as a result of God working. Um, Peter, Peter goes forth, and he preaches, and he plants churches. And in the end, he goes to the cross, like, like serving Jesus, and he put effort into that. But it's a very different Peter today than at the end of the story, right? And that wasn't Peter's effort. That was God growing good things in his life, right? That was God growing spiritual depth, love, and humility. That was God moving in a great way. I, I always find it interesting watching the, the farming, right? Because there's all these things you all do. I say, y'all, I don't farm. Um, <laughs> there are all these things you all do. You spray, right? And you check the soil, and you figure out the right time of year, and you talk about moisture and everything else. But there are two or three things. If they don't happen, do you get anything? What's one? Rain. If you do not get rain, do you get plants? Sun is the other, right? You don't get sun, or if you get too much of it, you don't get plants. Isn't it true? Ultimately, all the effort you all put in, it only grows into a crop if God does the work. The same is true here, and the same is what we see in Peter's life in the long run. The good things that God does, right? We work, we try, we put effort in, but God cleans us, and God makes us new. Um, and so, like, this is the other major idea I'm trying to put in front of you all this morning. Um, we do what we can, but God does the real washing, right? We're called to wash each other's feet, but only after we allow Jesus himself to wash our feet. And in one after, it's got to be one after the other. It can't be, I'm going to do it first, and then I'll let you. 
right? For a long time as a believer, I thought the worst things about myself because I thought I cannot seem to manage my sin good enough to be worthy of Jesus. And in reality, Jesus died for me because my sins were so bad because I can't manage them and I needed him to die for me. And I'm not the man I was then. But I'm not the man I was then because Jesus has changed me. And as hard as I tried and as much effort as I put forward and as much as I you know, got frustrated and angry and cried over it and said, God, why can't I do this? And the answer was because I wasn't, I wasn't letting him do it. Kind of crazy, isn't it? And as you look at the people around you, as you see the people that God is calling you to serve and love to the point that folks just know Jesus by watching you and listening to you, right? Those ones who are tares that look like they're pretty much like, oh, that guy's a weed. You know he's a weed, right? They're people God's working on too. They're people whose feet Jesus is washing as well. And if we jump to the conclusion that he isn't, we're sitting at God's wheel, right? Asking when we get paid and when do we have lunch. It's from a poem. Um, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me three times. Or, excuse me, before the, I should actually read the text. I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Um, As much as Jesus is being affectionate to him, as much as Jesus is holding his hand, as much as Jesus is loving him and showing love to him, he still knows Peter's going to deny him, right? And he loves him anyway. And if we're going to love each other the way that, like, Jesus is calling us to, it means love people that sometimes are going to hurt you, right? The worst thing I remember my... Like parenting moment, my hardest parenting moment, actually it was several moments where my daughter figured out that she could say that she doesn't like me or that she hates me. And we'd be in the store and she'd want to do something and I'd be like, nope, you can be in the stroller. You know, and I hate you. Okay, honey. <laughs> um, and I thought about trading her in, but it's really hard to do. And then we had another one, even though I know there's going to be a day that that child is going to say that to me, Right. And I love my child anyway. Some days I, I, I'm very thankful that you know, God made her cute, but I love her anyway. And God calls us to love each other in the same way, right? We're to love each other even though the person next to you may deny you tomorrow, right? Even though they may hurt you. Well, they hurt Jesus too. We share in his suffering when we love people who don't love us. Um, at the end of the day, like, like the big message here this morning is we kind of close out this section of Last Supper, um, and we'll be looking at the trial and crucifixion, the big thing, right? Jesus died for you, demonstrating love that we're to emulate. Love each other no matter what. That's the command. Not everybody in the world. We're supposed to love everybody in the world, but the love we have for each other is supposed to be next level, right? Coming to church should be coming into a place where, like, it's almost like a sanctuary, right? Wow, that's, anyway... It's almost like a, like a sanctuary, not a sanctuary for worship, but a sanctuary of escape, right? It should be the case that we come to be amongst other believers because we feel most loved then, because we feel most cared for then, because we know that the folks around us are watching us and holding us and are there with us, and that ultimately they're just reflecting Jesus' love, right? Um, and they're bringing glory to God for the, you know, in the effort. And we're supposed to do the same thing for each other. And we're supposed to let God be in control. That's the other thing, right? Love each other and let God be in control. Let him wash you. Let him take away your sin. Let him make you new. Um, and trust that he knows what he's doing in the effort. We're going to close in prayer.
Do we have a last song? Okay. Um, and I'll close us with a blessing. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Um, I pray that as we kind of close out this section that you would just put it in our hearts to love each other and to live in love with each other and live in community with each other that, that just reflects your grace and your spirit and your son's humility and your son's um, selflessness toward us. Help us to just be, just be washed in that. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we chase after that, that we would allow you to make us new. That you would allow us to, that we would allow you to, to be in control, Lord. That we wouldn't try and be God in our own little world, but we would allow you to, to um, make us more like your Son, um, make us more like you. In Christ's name, Amen.